from the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, I believe in my heart and you know I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate about the fact that we need to offer God something first before we expect to receive. I said it in Sunday school this morning. You have to prepare yourself. You have to get ready to receive a blessing. Am I right? You have to get ready to receive the blessing. And the first thing we need to do is offer God something. Offering something references a sacrifice. It means giving up something of value for something of greater value. How many don't want to be blessed greater than you are when you leave this place today? Hallelujah. How many want to be renewed and refreshed in your walk with God? Amen. Hallelujah. I just left a dynamite marriage conference down in Gainesville, Georgia. And uh, I'll be honest with you folks. Amen. It was enriching. Life-changing. Amen. Powerful, anointed words of God were spoken throughout. And worship was given to God. and I, I feel renewed in the Spirit of the Lord. I feel refreshed today. Amen. Somebody said, we in trouble. Pastor hadn't preached in two Sundays. Before I go any further, let me say, Pastor Steve Jacobs will be ministering to us on next Sunday morning. Should not the rapture take place? Now, I got, I got some sad news for a lot of you. If the rapture comes, don't look for me. I won't be here. And Brother Steve won't either, so you'll be disappointed. But God willing and Jesus doesn't come. Next Sunday a.m., Brother Steve Jacobs will bless us, amen, with the word of God preached in our presence. Amen. Look around you today. Thank God for Jesus, amen. Let's welcome all our special guests today. We've graced our presence. Amen. We don't believe in the term visitor here at Harvest Church because visitors visit. Right? It means they're subject to come and may never come again. But we want to treat men others as our special guest. Prefer them above even our own self. Didn't Brother Hunt do a marvelous job on the Word of God? Just a few weeks ago. Amen. Let us go over to the other side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love folks who step up to the challenge. I've been speaking on love. And today will culminate the series. It will bring the series on love to an end. What greater month than the month of February to speak about love. Amen. And what greater writer, if you turn with me in your word today, to 1 John chapter 1. I want to read this in your presence. Don't forget Wednesday evening Bible study. I know there have been a lot of things thrown on your plate today in reference to uh, different events that are going to be taking place here. But man, you don't want to forget Bible study. We are actually engaged right now in an in-depth study of the tabernacle. And I'm telling you, the Lord has just caused some things to surface out of that study that have impacted our lives in a way that we had never even experienced before. All the symbolism, types, and figures that God incorporated in the construction of the tabernacle to reveal to us, number one, the plan of salvation and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray for the families of Reverend Jerry Thompson, of Donald Strickland, and of Brother Fred Chavis. When you pray, three great men of God that I have known for many years in the course of this week who stepped out of the realm of time into eternity with God. Pray for them. Chancellor is a part of our church. Amen. I'm going to miss his dad. Praise the Lord. Reverend Jerry Thompson, a, a soldier of the cross. Brother Fred was just here months ago, standing on this stage, 
ministering to us in song. And this week, he passed away. Let's remember those families. Are you there? First John chapter 1. Are you there? Shout, I got it. If you come and say, I'll be there in a minute, I'm under the impression you're there. Praise the Lord. The Word of God so states, 1 John 1 and 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the Word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Glory to God. What an awesome God we serve today. Hallelujah. Can we bow our heads in the Lord's presence? We want to approach Him in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so honored today to be a part of this great celebration of your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful worship that has been offered to you. We thank you for the concentrated efforts of every believer in this building today to worship you. Now we ask that you would anoint your word, Lord, that it would go forth and produce what you've anointed it to do. The cry of my heart is that someone would fall from the ranks of sin and accept Jesus Christ as Lord of their life not because of who we are but all that you've done in the strong name of Jesus God's church said amen amen and amen you might be seated in the Lord's presence glory to God hallelujah just a little historical backdrop I want to bring us up to speed of course we already know the beloved apostle John is the writer of the book and I want to in a time frame I want to bring you up to speed on where we are Jerusalem has been raided and destroyed around 70 AD Romans are the ruling world power at the time and we got to understand that the penning of this letter was sometime between 85 and 90 AD so the church has already faced widespread persecution and the saints of God are scattered abroad. Amen? So from the city of Ephesus, John writes to put believers back on the right track. And he does so by showing the great distinction that lies between light and darkness or truth and error. How many of you know that when the church was scattered that false teachers, amen, flooded that place and they did everything they could. Uh, to confuse the believers. Amen? So John writes to, to, to show this distinction between light and darkness and to encourage the church to grow in genuine love for God and love for one another. 
So, so let's look at it from this perspective. The church had survived widespread persecution. So what was the heart, what was the problem uh, with the church at Ephesus at this time? The problem with the church at Ephesus lies much with the problem of many of our churches that exist today. You'd say, Pastor, what is it? Declining commitment. Declining commitment. Amen. You'll notice there's no, there's no children's church today. And that's, that's for a reason. There is. Someone's back there. Okay. All right. Declining commitment. Amen. So what does that mean? It means that we are conforming to worldly standards by compromising our faith. Amen. I might as well preach this now. The Lord's libertized me, amen, to preach this to your hearts today. I want to challenge us with the title, Love Renewed, The Ancestral Sin. Love Renewed, The Ancestral Sin. You see, if we look in the book of Revelation in Jesus' letter to the seven churches, we discover in chapter number two, this church, the church at Ephesus. And what does Jesus do? You'll find this throughout the Word of God. It doesn't matter if you search high and low, far and wide. What you're going to discover in the Word of God that Jesus first commends us. Go ahead and take your time now. Jesus commends us for the things we do right. That's how we ought to do our children. We ought to praise them for the things they do right. But then in a failed swoop, Jesus moves in to rebuke us for the wrong we do. And what does he say to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2 and 4? Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Somebody said, Pastor, I really don't understand the full scope of that. So what does it mean? The church at Ephesus was known for its many wonderful deeds. It was known, amen, for, for qualities that pleased God. But Brother Eric, in the process of time, they distanced themselves from that. And so in order for God to reward them, in order for God to commend them, he challenges them to go back and do their first works over again. It's better preaching than you're responding, but I'll take my time. Amen. What I want to understand, uh, help us understand today is that God's going to always commend us first. He's going to always give us praise for the good things we do. But then he's going to move in and he's going to offer open rebuke for the wrong that we've done. What kind of God would God be if he let sin go unpunished? So I want to tell us today where ancestral sin originated. Some scholars define it as the original sin. So it began by separation. Somebody say separation. What does that mean? It means the act of being moved apart. It means the act of being detached or being severed. Come on, saints of God, you husbands and wives, under the sound of my voice today, you know when things aren't just right between you and mama. Praise the Lord. We, the people of God, we know when things aren't just right between us and God. Well, I'm going to preach it anyway. 
What scholars have defined, amen, as ancestral sin, they say it's a Christian belief. And it has existed since the original fall, the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. It stems from Adam and Eve's rebellion in the Garden. Well, what happened? Let me, let me just rehash this memory. What happened was, is they ate of the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't y'all start pointing fingers. I'm going to get to that point later. Amen. But it stemmed from Adam and Eve's sin. Adam didn't refuse. He was participatory in his act. He went right along, amen, with Eve's instruction. Adam, I ate this and it was good. Try some. My mama said, if your friends jump off a bridge, you're going to follow them? Preach, pastor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to bless you and tell you that Adam was the first man. Would it bless us to know that Adam was the leader of the entire human race? What an honor, amen. But the consequence of his sin affected the whole of humanity. Look at Romans 5, 12. Romans 5 and 12, therefore just as through one man centered into the world and death through sin and thus death, amen, spread to all men because all sinned. Some of you might say, oh, no, 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 no. The, the, the initial sin was when Satan rebelled against God. Yeah, but that was in heaven. That wasn't on the earth. So the original sin or ancestral sin that originated in the first man, Adam, took place on the earth in the peaceful bliss of the Garden of Eden. God said, Adam, all I want you to do is prune this garden. Keep the weeds out of it, amen. Keep it trimmed and beautified. And there's a tree, amen, that I forbid you to partake of. Amen, you can have the fruit from everything else that exists in this garden. But you are not to partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you shall do it, you shall surely die. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. What does that mean? Amen. The word death in the Bible literally means separation. It literally means separation. And there are three kinds of separation. Hello? It's not one the lawyer draws up between you and your spouse because of irreconcilable differences. Can I preach somebody? Amen. But what death amen means in the Bible is separation from God. And we can be separated from God physically. We can be separated from God spiritually. And the dreaded last one is that we can be separated from God eternally. Oh my. Oh my preacher, you need to be careful here now. You're going to scare somebody. Here's the truth, my friend. It originated when sin separated man from God. Don't you know it must have been some kind of heaven, amen, for God to walk down in the cool of that garden every day and call Adam's voice. Brother Harold, Adam never knew sin consciousness. All he had was a God conscience he didn't even know what sin was until he violated God's law but the moment he violated God's law the Bible said his eyes was open and he was naked and afraid y'all ain't getting this 
So what am I trying to tell somebody? Before we realize it, we're dibbling and dabbling in things that bring separation between us and God. We're not praying like we ought to. We're not spending time in the Word like we ought to. Come on, saints of God. Amen. So what's that doing? That's creating a gap. That's uh, uh, creating space, Brother Mike, between us and God. One church sign said, seven days without prayer makes one week. What you trying to say, Bishop? I'm just trying to tell us today, amen, that the enemy wants nothing more than to isolate us, get us all alone, so that then in our hopeless situation, we will abandon God and take on the nature of sin just like Adam. What happened? Sin then became a spiritual virus that infected the DNA of humanity. From that single violation of God's law. Preacher, do you believe Adam would have lived forever as long as God lived? I believe Adam would have lived forever had he not sinned. But the Bible said when, when sin is finished, it brings forth death. Isn't that what Brother James said? James said, when does a man sin? When he's enticed of his own love. You can't walk around with no purse on your shoulder, Flip Wilson, talking about the devil done made me do it. Swing in that purse. (laughs) The devil done made me do it. The word of God said in the book of James, We are enticed by our own lust. Not somebody else's, amen. What did Adam do? He said, Lord, that woman you gave me. Lord, that woman you gave me, she did give me that fruit and I did eat. Hold up. Hold up. Adam, where were you? When the tempter came to Eve, where were you? God called a husband to walk beside his wife and a wife beside her husband. So when the tempter came to Eve, where was Adam? He probably watching ESPN. But I had to bring y'all back to reality now. Some of y'all started wondering a little bit there. But the truth of the matter, where was Adam? All we know is that he was not with Eve. Scripture doesn't indicate where he was. But he began first to offer blame. The first thing he said was, the woman you gave me, she gave me that fruit and I did eat it. If you'd have been the priest of your home, oh glory. Ah, if you'd have been the leader God called you to be. Amen, you wouldn't have let her out your sight. You'd have been by her side. And when the tempter came, you'd have said, no, 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 Eve. God said we could have everything else but this right here. This is forbidden. We can't have it. And ever since the time of Adam, people have been playing that blame card. They've been flashing that blame card saying, praise God, every time, glory to God, that something happens, trickles down the pipe, and fault falls upon us. The first thing we want to do is blame somebody else. Separation exists because we move away from God. Go ahead and preach, Pastor. 
wonderful pieces that I need to drive home this morning is God created us all as free moral agents. God won't force you to serve him. God won't back you in the corner and say it's me or else. The Bible does say God's a jealous God. God doesn't want his loyalties divided between him and no one else. That's the reason he challenged the nation of Israel. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall have no other gods before me. He's a jealous God. Isn't this right? This is word, saints. So when he created us as free moral agents, he also equipped us with the ability to choose. Anybody glad? Come on, that's not a trick question now. Anybody glad? Anybody glad God created you as a free moral agent? He's not going to force you into his service. He's going to trust your ability to choose. Make right decisions. Amen? But understand something. All choices come with consequences. All choices come with consequences. So if we've created this bridge, this gap that separates us from God, amen, how do we get back? How do we get back? Here's what the world thinks. The world says, if, well, if I'm just a good moral person, if I'm, you know, if I'm an upright citizen, if I produce good qualities, uh, good old boys ain't going to make it to heaven. Jesus said to Nicodemus, this prerequisite, you must be born again. So the world, Sister Murtis, is trying through uh, being good moral people to gain right standing with God. Will it work? No, it won't work. What else are they doing? They're trying to use the outlet of religion. They told me on my job, they said to me, you're the only person here saved. The other folk here got religion. I said, I ain't said nothing about having religion. I said, I'm a Christian. And I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We share commonality and familiarity, uh, Jesus and I. Amen? I'm not religious. I am a Christian. Preach, Pastor. Hallelujah. Here's what we say. Well, I'll just exercise good works. Will good works produce salvation? Will good works produce right standing with God? Never has and never will. I can promise you that none of these will ever work. So what's happening? Man is exhausting his reservoir in attempts, glory to God, to gain right standing with God. Look at Proverbs 14, 12. If you don't believe man will work himself to death to try to gain right standing with God, look what the wisest human outside of Jesus Christ, whoever lives, said. He said, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death. What is that saying? What is that telling us, class? It's saying right choices require hard work. Don't you ever be enticed by a shortcut to gain right standing with God. Salvation comes through the cross of Christ and him crucified. 
What we're studying in the layout of the tabernacle, amen, is that you approach, as you approached it in the desert wilderness. On the east side of that tabernacle, there was a gate. Oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Amen. What does it symbolize? The gate symbolizes there's only one way in. Can anybody hear Jesus when he said in the seven I am's of John, exclaiming his deity, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. What are you trying to say? No, the Bible's already said it. The Bible has emphatically stated there's no other way to God except through Jesus. They couldn't see it when they were erecting that tabernacle in the wilderness. They had no idea that as God was laying it out, that all he was doing was showing a picture of the Christ to come. Salvation is of the Lord. But the con, they walked up to that tabernacle in the wilderness and they walked in through the gate. That gate symbolized only one way to God. And the next thing they saw when they entered was the brazen altar. What does the brazen altar symbolize? Sacrifice. Said if I'm going to get close to God, it's going to cost me something. Oh, hallelujah to God. I heard the writer say, without the shedding of blood, there is, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. There had to be a life for a life. Come on, saints of God. I'm trying to break this ancestral curse over you today and let you know there was a life for your life. His name was Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the next item they saw was a bronze laver. Come on, y'all. It's the only item in the entire contents of the tabernacle that Moses was not given dimensions for. Are you following me? Amen. It held water. And in it, the priest washed before they entered into the holy place. What did it symbolize? It symbolized, amen, there was no dimensions because, amen, that, that we need to be cleansed on a daily basis. Here's something else that will bless you. The priests didn't wash in it. They washed from it. They got water out of it and they poured over their hands. And they poured over their feet. Because if they washed in it, it would pollute it for the next participant. Am I getting through to anybody? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What did it symbolize before I could move from the outer court into the holy place? Glory to God. I had to first come through the gate who was Jesus Christ. Then it demanded a sacrifice. Then it demanded a daily cleansing, a sanctification, if you will. What's happened to us? We've distanced ourselves from this reality. And we think we can bring anything to God. We think we can allow everything and anything to live in our lives. And still say that we're in right standing with God. Right choices require hard work. Don't you ever be enticed by a shortcut. One of America's greatest preachers said it like this. The late great Billy Graham. Here's what Billy said. If you go to a therapist or to a psychiatrist, you become a well-adjusted sinner. Get it? You go to a therapist 
or a psychiatrist, you become a well-adjusted sinner. If you go to a doctor, you become a healthy sinner. Preach somebody. If I join the church and turn over a new leaf, come on. I want to turn over this new leaf. No, I'm going to turn over this leaf. And I'm going to join the church. You know what Billy said? Then you become a religious sinner. Mm-mm. Don't get mad with me. Billy said it. Billy said the next thing I do, amen, is that if I come to the cross of Christ, I understand it's the only bridge that reaches God. Billy said it's either this or the other. It's either separation from God or redemption by God. Which is it? Come on, somebody. Billy said all this other stuff, all it'll do is reposition you. All it'll do, amen, is add a momentary change. But if you come by the cross of, help me, Lord. If you come by the cross of Christ, he's the only one that bridges the gap that exists between you and God. I believe Paul told a cohort in the ministry, there's only one mediator between man and God. The man. Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Muhammad. Come on, y'all, but Jesus Christ. Amen. Can I move on? Praise the Lord. Pastor, what about these separations that exist between us and God? Well, well, here's a trait that many of us are hampered by as believers. It's a trait that Paul encouraged the church at Colossae to mortify. Anybody know what mortify means? It means put to death. Paul said we need to put to death concupiscence. That's a tough one. You got to do your homework on that one. Concupiscence. What does it mean? It means the inclination, the yearning, the longing for what is forbidden. It comes from the Greek word epithumia. Are you listening somebody? And it's infecting people all over the world. Why? Because they would rather indulge themselves in the momentary pleasures of sin than to have eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. You say, preacher, I don't believe it. What do you mean you don't believe it? Y'all can sit here under the sound of my voice and kid yourself all you want to, but you had fun in sin. We had fun in sin. Come on. Is that word? What does the Bible say about sin? I guarantee you you can quote it if you're a child of God. Doesn't it say there's pleasure in sin? But for how long? Lord, just let me have my moment. I just, I just want my moment. Some of y'all gyrating in the club like you ain't going to never get a chance to shake a leg. Preach, Pastor. It was joy and sin. It was joy and sin. Preach, Pastor. Come on, Brother Mike. Say amen. It was joy and sin. I'm going to set the record straight here in a minute because I'm going to help us understand where we all were. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I said thank God for the blood of Jesus. And we're not who we were. 
We haven't reached our potential yet, but we're not who we were. Thank God. We're preaching. It's not, I see people walking around with t-shirts. Don't you judge me. You can't judge me. I'm not judging. When I see rotten fruit hanging off your tree, ding, 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 ding. When I see rotten fruit hanging off your tree, that means you don't belong to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, somebody. Only God. People have shirts. Only God can judge me. It's okay. There's coming a day when the secrets of all men's hearts are going to be revealed in the presence of a righteous God. And the sentence of eternity is going to be passed on us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. When we signed up, when we accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life, we enlisted as soldiers. Did we not? Did we know that we were going to be in a battle because the enemy of our souls was waging war against us? I'm talking about love renewed, the ancestral sin. Amen. Did did we know that we were going to be fighting a battle to the end? I would to God, Scott, that I could tell you since you gave your heart to Jesus last week, you won't have to fight anymore. Son, you're going to have to fight harder than you've ever fought now. I'd like to tell my son that since you accepted Jesus on last week, man, the birds are going to sing every day. The sun's going to shine and it's going to never rain on your parade. But that's the farthest thing from the truth because that's not what's going to happen. We're going to have storms in life. And the intent of a storm is to separate us from God. Am I right? But let me tell you what God's let me tell you what God's motive is in the permissive will that He allows these things to come into our life. Can I bless you? Amen. It ain't to cause us to run from Him, but to run to Him. Ah, oh, hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. When the storms of life begin to beat down upon us, it's, no, it's not so that we'll seek, uh, seek shelter somewhere else outside of God. It's so that we will be driven into his very presence because he's the only one that can offer, amen, the comfort that we need in that moment. Amen. Am I right? Amen. I'm a seek shelter. No wonder the psalmist said he's a refuge in a time of a storm. Hallelujah. I'm going to run to Jesus. Listen, uh, when we enlisted as soldiers, we had to have this understanding. Soldiers have enemies. Soldiers go through hours upon hours upon hours of training and preparation. Why? To defend our rights to freedom. We as the body of Christ, we go through this rigorous training so that we will be a good soldier of the cross of Christ. Am I right? But see, most often the battles that rage are within us. Most often those battles include lust and temptations that arise from within us. Amen? Our battles begin in our hearts and in our minds. Somebody said, who is an enemy? An enemy is a person who wishes to do you harm and not good. No wonder Jesus said... Our adversary, Satan. He's roaming around like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Somebody said, I've never understood it in God's complex makeup of things. Why do they call a lion the king of the beast? He's not the biggest. Matter of fact, the male lions got it made. The male lions lay on a rock and sleep all day. 
Why do wives go out and hunt? I, listen, I went to that animal kingdom in Florida. And we're on an open bus riding through that thing, safari if you will. And I see this lion, his head looked about twice as big as that bass drum. And he's just lying on a rock. And I'm in an open bus. And I'm sitting there to myself thinking, what kind of mind do I have? If that thing decided to come after me, well, he wouldn't get me because I'd outrun some of the rest of them. The journalist said on the safari, hey, hey, man, you know we need to stop running because we ain't going to outrun no lion. And the other looked at him and said, I ain't worried about outrunning the lion. I just want to outrun you. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So why do they call him the king of the beast? Because of that roar that can be heard for miles. It strikes fear in the heart of all the other creatures. Anybody feel this? So no wonder that symbolism is used in the scriptures. And Satan is not playing games. He's playing keeps. Preach, Pastor. Hallelujah. Our battles originate within our hearts and in our minds. And ever since the fall of man, we've placed the blame for our position on somebody else. Let's go to Romans chapter number 7 around verse 18, sweetie. Romans chapter 7 and let's go to verse number 18. Boy, this will bless you. Praise the Lord. Look what the writer said. This is Paul. Writing to the church at Rome. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I would do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do is exactly what I practice. Y'all getting this? Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. This is Paul. But I see another law in my members. That's warring against the law of my mind. Help me, Holy Ghost. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. What's Paul saying? 
Paul said, I got to kill the inside of me. I got to put to death this fleshly sinful nature. In order to win this fight that's taking place in my life on a daily basis. The redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross and faith alone conquers the curse of ancestral sin and the works of Satan. I love what Paul said to the Galatian believers in Galatians 2 and 20. You know what he said? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. The old Galatians 2 and 20. Anybody getting this? Somebody said, well, I read it a bunch, Pastor, but I really don't know what it means. Here's what it means. Legally, Brother Jerry Fuquay, it means that when God looks at Jesus, he sees your sin. It means that when Jesus died, your sin died with him. Oh, glory. Man, this listen, make somebody room. I feel a shout coming on. Hallelujah. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives. Can somebody help me? Amen. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So legally, listen, this is a twofold application. Legally, when God looks at me, amen, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you with me, somebody? This is what it means. He looks at us as if we were dead in our sins. Some of y'all want to shout. You just scared you'll resemble your old self. Jesus was blameless. Jesus was blameless. He broke the curse of ancestral sin when he became a curse for the cursed. Paul told the Corinthian believers, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I know I ain't nobody, but I am who I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Hallelujah. Paul said God conquered that sin. That overwhelming desire in my life. The sin of concupiscence. God put it to death by Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Jesus was blameless but took upon himself the punishment of sin which is death. He died so that we could live. You say, preacher, that's one blessing. How about the second one? Well, not only are we blessed from the legal side, we're blessed from the relationship side. Because relationally, Christ now lives in us. He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And this empowers us to live a life in complete obedience to the will of God. Amen. Got to move on. Did you get that? Everybody get it? If you could do it by yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus. If people could lose 50 pounds on their own, they wouldn't need personal trainers. You know why that happens? We got to have somebody push us. We got to have somebody disciplined enough 
that tell us no. It's like we need a coach. We got a coach in the Holy Ghost. Brother Tedrick, we got a coach in the Holy Ghost. Because the minute our eyes inclined to look at something, we got no business. The Holy Ghost, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Anytime, Brother Jason, we got, a, we got a notion to handle something, we got no business. The Holy Ghost said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. When I was little, they called burners on the stove eyes. I'm like, I don't know why in the God's world they call stove, them eyes stoves can't see. But my mama said, you can touch that eye on that stove if you want to, boy. But it's going to burn you. How many of us could be honest in the presence of God right now in this room and say we started looking at something we had no business and the Holy Ghost said, uh-uh. But we looked anyway. How many could be honest with God? Come on, amen. How many? What happened to David when Bathsheba was bathing on that rooftop? The roofs of the homes were flat. And that beautiful woman was out there naked in the presence of the king of Israel. Where had he ought to been? He should have been out to war leading his men. But he was the king. That's why I say you got to kill the king sometime. You got to kill self sometime. If he would have been where he ought to have, we wouldn't have been afforded that story. And then I wouldn't have to listen to so many other Christians say, well, David did it. I wouldn't have to counsel people and say, I ain't the only, well, preacher, I mean, don't look at me like I'm the only one. I'm not the only one who ever did it. Indeed, you are not. But they did it so you don't have to. Oh, that's better preaching than you're responding. Some of you think you got to be a nothing because your daddy was a nothing. I break the spirit of generational curses. You don't have to be nothing like your daddy was. You don't have to be anything like your mama was. You can be what God wants you to be. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody say, well, I drink because my daddy drunk. You drink because you watched him drink. You still saw what it produced in his life and you followed it anyway. I never saw the benefit in it in all my born days. I saw enough of it in my family that I made up my mind as a child. I would never engage in that life. My mother would never come get me out of jail. Yeah. I listened to so many people promise God, Lord, hanging over a porcelain, God throwing up everything in them. Lord, if you just help me get over this, I won't do it no more. Holding that thing. Oh. Oh, God, Lord, I feel so bad. Ah. My wife said to me one time I needed to pray with one of my nephews. I said, why? She said, he's very, he's, he, he, Terry, it's just not right for him to be that sick. I said, me nor God told him to turn that bottle up to his head. Me nor God told him to eat that fruit out of that PJ. But he said, I can, man, this fruit's good. I can, I can handle it. What the problem was is the fruit was in an altered state. It had about 180 proof ever clear in it. And the more he drank, the better looking the girls got. 
Yeah. Said later I woke up with some I wish I could have gnawed my arm out from under her. Lord killed a vision. That's the last thing in the world a man wants to admit that he was passionate with an ugly woman. I'm glad I was never a drinker. My natural state has never been altered by drugs. Somebody said, Pastor, you ain't never been drunk. Well, I must admit I have, but it weren't on alcohol. It was on the Holy Ghost. And I didn't have a hangover. And I wasn't looking for the V8. Tomato juice. I witnessed all those remedies, Con. I witnessed all of them. Some of y'all get drunk, you want to fight. You get drunk, you want to fight, and couldn't beat yourself out in a wet paper bag. Where's Mike Tyson? Where's Mike Tyson at? You're in an altered state. You followed that desire of concupiscence. Your heart yearned for it. You partook of it. And it distanced you even farther from God. So, Pastor, how do I get, how, how, how do I make it right? Well, number one, we're going to battle ancestral sin till we leave this world. Because sin entered the world through one man. That man's name was Adam. And because through one man sin entered into the world, it was, only, it was only fitting that through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would offer us a means out. Through the marvelous redemptive work of Jesus on the cross and the plan of salvation, Jesus made a way. So if I'm going to battle ancestral, to, to, to battle means to fight or to struggle. It means to combat. That's what fighting and battling means. Okay? We said ancestral sin was defined as this. Of or belonging to an inherited or inherited from one's ancestors. You don't have to be what your daddy was. You don't have to be what your grandpa was. Thank God I'm nowhere near what my biological father was. He's met his eternal reward. But I have no whole brothers or sisters. And when my father passed away, I had family I didn't even know I had. There was an old song wrote years ago said, Papa was a rolling stone. Follow me? I know what some of you say. Pastor, don't that make you feel bad? What control did I have over it? What, what, I mean, what control did I have? I wasn't there holding the light. I, I mean, let me tell you something. There's nothing any individual can do about where they came from or what they came out of. The only thing we can do is control where we're headed. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. That song said, this is how I fight my battles. Huh? It might look like I'm surrounded, but, Lord, I'm surrounded by you. Huh? 
That's how I fight my battles. Listen to me. We all inherited a sinful nature. I don't care how full of the Holy Ghost your mom and daddy was when you were conceived. You inherited a sinful nature. Some of y'all mamas look at me real clear. Look at me real intent. That ain't no angel you holding in your arms. Look at me. I, I, thought, I, had, I, th- I thought I had one in my house growing up, but I, I was wrong. I'm just going to be honest. I did. I, I, thought, I thought my little girl was an angel. I did. I, I'm going to leave it right there. But I discovered, I discovered that mischief is bound and foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction, it'll drive it far from them. I weren't no little hellion. Mom and daddy beat it out of me. But you can't touch our youngins now. They got glass rear ends. Some of y'all said, be careful, Pastor. This is going to be on podcast. Well, glory to God. We need correcting. As grown-ups, we need correcting. Amen? So I know children need correcting. Brother Steve, God bless your son in that wedding. I'm telling you, in that receiving line. Woo, it took all three of them. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost for me to keep my composure. As that one little boy that kept kicking and screaming and throwing fruit loops all over the floor. And somebody stepping out saying, I don't know what's wrong with him. I backed up. <laughs> I had to distance myself before I feel a knot jerking coming on. I said, I don't know what's wrong with them, but I know what they need. We beg for it. Come on, our behavior begs for discipline. We inherited a sinful nature. You don't believe you inherited a sinful nature? Your mom and daddy was saved when you were conceived. What? What? Look at Psalm 51, 5. Look at Psalm 51 and 5. Whose confession is this? Whose confession is this? You scholars know that was David. What did David say in Psalm 51, 5? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. That little angel you're holding in your arms. You got a sinful nature. We all inherit it when we're born. The moment we're conceived. You don't have to teach a child how to do wrong. I said you don't have to teach a child how to do wrong. It's their inherent nature. All right, Dr. Phil. If you don't believe it, just observe them. Just observe them. David is confronted by Nathan the prophet. Psalm 51. And after he is confronted, he completes his confession with this reality. It wasn't enough for him to acknowledge his violation of God's law. But as the king of Israel, he had to debase himself To admit his position. 
That'll preach. You might need to write that down. David said, I'm the king. Who's going to correct me? How many know the eye of the Almighty sees all? And it's roaming the earth to and fro. Huh? The Bible said the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. And God said he's writing all our acts down in a book. That's the truth, saints. Somebody said, if I were, uh, uh, iniquity, what is iniquity? Iniquity is defined as immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Iniquity is defined as wickedness. Yeah, you little rose petal. You fragrant little beauty, you. You were born with an inherited sinful nature. Only the blood of Jesus could cleanse us. Praise the Lord, saints of God. Got to move on. Musicians are coming. Musicians are coming. As I told you earlier, I'm going to tell you where all of us were. Romans 3.23. Everybody knows what Romans 6.23 is. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But do you know what Romans 3.23 says? Romans 3.23 said, for all. Come on, y'all say that with emphasis. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means excluding none. Praise God, somebody. That includes the entire human race. John, I want, I, want, I want these girls to sing a little bit of Draw Me Close to You. I just feel overwhelmingly impressed by the Spirit of God that we're going to have a dynamite altar response in this service today. Draw me close to you. Some of y'all are like, well, if nobody don't go to altar, you're going to be made to fool up. Not when you stand before God, I won't. Because the clothes you're wearing are bare testimony against you to this day. I believe that, Brother Khan. I believe an altar call is given in the Spirit of God woo individuals and they don't move. I believe when they stand at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to roll back the curtain of time and bring it to our remembrance. He's going to say, You had an opportunity, you had a chance, but you neglected it. Come on, y'all. So who's looking foolish now? Preacher, you're getting a little tight with us. Some of us need tightening up. I might as well preach this. Listen, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This includes the entire human race. There are no exemptions and there are no exceptions. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. Jesus said we sin because we love sin. There's only one remedy for sin. Hallelujah. There's only one remedy for sin. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Stand with me all of this auditorium, would you? I'm trying to get us out of here. I'm trying to help somebody. Somebody need to come to the altar of God today. Praise the Lord. You need to come to the altar of God today. Listen, 
we are engaged in spiritual warfare in this present moment and the way that we put sin to death is by receiving power and grace along with the empowerment that comes through the Holy Ghost I need you to look to heaven right now come on don't look at your neighbor don't look at your wife don't look at your family don't look at your son daughter don't look at him I need you to look to heaven and I need you to say Lord I've got a sin problem Come on, I need you to say it. Lord, I've got a sin problem. But I know you came to deliver me. And the blood of Jesus washed away all my sin and declared me righteous in your sight. Jesus is the only man that can cleanse me from sin. Heads about, eyes are closed. We're all in need of a transformation today. Every one of us in this room. So how do we begin? How do we begin this transformation? By drawing nearer to God. Listening as He speaks. And by obeying His commands. These ministers are joining me in the altar right now. And if you need to come while this invitation, this song is being sang. I want you to step out of the comfort of your seat. And come to the altar of God. Listen, there's room for you all over the place if you need to come right now.